was such an amazing, amazing sacrifice that we have in Jesus. <clears throat> Even if, as, as we have just celebrated communion, um, proclaiming the Lord's death, and I know that that sometimes even when we take communion, we, we sometimes rush it. But, you know, there's, there's those times that we can just linger in communion because it, it's good for us to linger in those moments to, to remember all that he has done on our behalf. Again, we, we, we proclaim, it says, the Lord's death until he comes when we have that time for him and with him. And so the question is, what manner of life ought we to live? What manner of life ought we to live knowing what He has done for us and the fact that we celebrate it even? How are we to live? And the answer should be a life of faith. Of course, that should be our response. Lord, because of all that You've done, our response should be a life of faith. A life that says, I believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I believe that. Which is translated, I trust in, I rely on, I adhere to what Jesus did on the cross that he paid for once and for all, all of my sins, past, present, and future. He has paid for all of it, past, present, and future. In, in other words, when he says it is finished, there is nothing else that can or could be done for our sins. There's nothing else. It's all done. And so if we take him at his word, then we should be able to walk in the newness of life day by day. Because of what we know about that. Because of, 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 of being... The word is justified. Because of what he has done, we can walk in the newness of life as if we have never sinned. And so if we take him at his word in that, then we know that we have been set apart. That, that we are being set apart. And that one day when we breathe our last, we will be set apart forever. And that is where that word sanctification comes in, that we have been made holy because of what Jesus Christ has done. Not because of what we have done, but it's all His doing in that the day that we accepted Jesus, He set you apart. He is setting you apart on a regular basis, day by day, as you're living your life. And one day, we will finally be set apart for Him. Ah. So with that which is so exciting to know all those things, the things that we've been covering the last few weeks, man, we're just kind of getting excited. It's like, man, you've done it all with all of those things. The writer now brings up the fourth of the five warnings. I've shared with you that we, there's five warnings in the book of Hebrews. And some of you might, may have forgotten about these warnings or you just started coming and you're going, oh, there's warnings in this book? The last one we covered was back in chapter 5 going into chapter 6. And you might, might have forgotten about it because it's been months ago, but the writer didn't. <laughs> 
You see, the readers who were sitting down reading this letter or having it read to them sat down in one sitting and they heard the five warnings all at one sitting. And so they were taking it all in with the encouragement, the warning, the encouragement, the warning. It's taken us several months to get to that point. And it might take us a couple more months to get to the next, the last warning, which is in chapter 12. I mean, we do have chapter 11 coming up. And if you know the book, it's like, whoa, there's a lot in chapter 11. But this warning, this fourth warning is a hard-hitting warning. And it is meant to be a hard-hitting warning. What we have seen in these warnings for the believer and in that day and for us as well, is that in chapter 2, he talked about how the, new, the young believers, those believers, they had begun to drift from the Word. It, it, it began to, or they began strong, but they began to kind of drift back from the Word because it was taking longer than, I'm sure they had excitement that they had, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's been weeks and months, and it's like, what's going on here? Things are happening to us. And so they began to drift from the Word, which caused them to start doubting the Word in chapters 3 and 4, which caused them to become dull towards the Word in chapters 5 and 6. It, it was just a progression that they were just kind of slipping and drifting and doubting and, and becoming dull. And the result was that some of them were now despising the Word. Downright despising the Word. On purpose despising the Word. And some would think, wow, man, with, with, with all the amazing things that we've been hearing through, through Hebrews, why would he like, throw, a, throw a warning right in the middle of all that? So, it's almost like if you're playing with balloons and somebody just comes and starts popping your balloons. It's like, geez, I was having fun. It was all good. And now the balloons are gone. Why would the writer at this moment in time when we've just been kind of getting excited for what he has done in our life, why would he throw a warning in there? And I would say this is the perfect time for a warning. The perfect time. It was the best time. Because even though we have to walk by faith and not by sight, there are still pitfalls in our lives even as we're walking by faith. Even as we begin to walk by faith, there are still things that we need to be careful of. And so the, the warning needs to be there. Because again, even though we have to live a life of, of, of faith, we have to stay the course. And what happens is, as you begin to walk with the Lord, you get excited and all that's like, yes, yes. And then these things start happening. And unless somebody warns you, yeah, it's not always going to be hunky-dory, man. It's, it, there's going to be times where it's going to hurt and it's going to, you, you know, you're kind of going to go through some things. You need to stay the course regardless. And this was a good time for them to be reminded, stay the course. Yeah, all these things that Jesus has done, hang on to them. Stay the course, because it's not going to get any easier. It's like getting mad or upset when you see a sign that says falling rocks, and you're like driving through this mountainous 
area and it's so beautiful and you're just enjoying it. And all of a sudden you see this sign that says falling rocks and you go like, why would somebody put that there? I'm like digging today, man. The, the, the scenery, the beauty, everything. It's like, why would somebody have to put a sign right in the middle you know, of my, my getting excited about this whole thing? Oh. Because the possibilities are there that there might be some falling rocks. And then you would get upset if you're driving and you're all excited and the rock comes and hits your car and go, why didn't somebody warn me about that? Why didn't somebody tell me that there's a possibility that something can happen? I'm enjoying my day. And then this happens. But if somebody would have told me, I would have been a little bit more careful. I would have been more cautious in my driving, even though I'm enjoying the scenery. You see, warnings are there to to remind us or to prevent us from getting hurt. <laughs> That's what the warnings are there for. We need to take heed to these warnings. Because if we don't, then we will be having to deal with consequences. Because of the result, or, or resulting from not taking heed, not being careful along the way. Because again, guys, our, our Christian life should be amazing. But there's always going to be things in our way. And, and the warning is that there are pitfalls, but you need to stay the course. The warning is don't do anything on your own so that there's more consequences for you. Here's that, that's what this warning is all about. The trials and tribulations, they're, they're already promised to us. Don't add to them. And so we need to stay the course. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 26. It says, For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Everyone, no, anyone who has rejected Moses' law died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, of the living God. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured the, the great struggle with suffering, partly while you were made a spectacle both by the reproaches and tribulations and partly while you became companions of those who were, were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and more enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. 
Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the souls. Great warning, strong warning for those who are believers who who needed to hear this at this moment in time. After knowing all the things that they have been taught, after hearing this letter as it was being read to them, it was a perfect time for them to be warned, be careful. Be careful that you don't start despising the word because you started to drift and to doubt and to become dull. Be on your guard. Because even though Jesus has done all these things on your behalf, there is that tendency that we would like take, presume, I guess, that everything's always going to be like that. Oh, that doesn't change, but that we would begin to think like, oh, nothing bad is ever going to happen, so I'm just going to let down my guard. And that's where the, the warning comes. Keep your guard up. And he says, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. And the warning goes out to those who were and who are deliberately, willingly despising the word. They are willfully sinning. And he's speaking to those who have received. They know the truth. Now, some would say that the writer is talking to the apostate here. An apostate would be one who, who, who is professing, but really not possessing true faith. In, in other words, they, they outwardly are saying the right things. Outwardly, they're doing the right things. They're, they're portraying themselves as, as these godly people, but inwardly, they really are not believers. I think oftentimes those who are apostates are in and among us always. And, and I think sometimes it's some of those people who just think like, well, I, I'm saved. I can't tell you when I was, but I am saved. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't remember when you got saved, you can't be a true believer. But these apostates, there's really nothing inside that's convicting. They're living a life just for show just for everybody else. Now, those who who walk in that way may fool men all day long, but they will not fool God. And for them, their end will be, like it says here, judgment and fiery indignation. That's what they have to look forward to. Because these will be the ones that, that might say, well, didn't we do all these things? And he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. All you did was, was for show. It wasn't really ever in your heart. 
And I think that the writer here, even though some would say that he's, he's writing to the apostate here, I, I truly believe that the writer is talking to the believer here, the true believer. The ones that have seriously are, and are walking with God. Because it would be consistent with the rest of the, the letter. Because all the warnings that he has been giving has been given to believers and nobody else. Warning them to be careful not to fall back. You see, I think, not I think, I know. Most of the sins that we commit are deliberate. Come on, admit it. You might be thinking, no, it's only you. It's like, come on. (laughs) Most of the sins that we commit are deliberate. We do them knowing that we're going to sin. But I think he is talking to people who are deliberately sinning on a regular basis. Believers. I know we all fall into that trap, but there are believers who who are not really growing, they're just continuing their old lifestyle even though they've been saved. And you're going, well, are they saved or not? Well, that's between God and them. But if they say that they have been saved and are continuing in some of their lifestyle, yeah, yeah, I guess you could question it. But many who are deliberately sinning on a regular basis, you, you, you would categorize them as backslidden Christians. They know the truth. They've received the truth. But they're willfully sinning. I I, I would say that the backslider, those who are in that position, are the most miserable. They do have somewhat of a conviction. But they continue sinning and they become callous. They know enough about Jesus to be miserable, but not enough to be totally joyful. (laughs) They've tasted, but they've never continued to grow. They know he's there, and they run to him whenever they need to. But they have fallen back, and they are on their backs. And they're not being productive. Oh, they'll skate in by the skin of their teeth. The true believer who decides to go in that direction will not find another sacrifice. As it says here, there no longer remains a sacrifice, a sacrifice for sins. In other words, there is no further offering to look forward to. Jesus has already paid the price. But I think oftentimes those who are in the backslidden stage, they feel like they have to do more to get back into his good graces. And so they just stay on their backs because it's like, well, I can never achieve. And they just don't quite understand what we've been learning, that Jesus has already paid all that. You don't have to feel guilty. You can jump right back in. But some of these backslidden Christians are just feeling, well, I can never measure up. It's like, well, join the crowd. But again, they just don't know him good enough to understand his grace. And so they're miserable all the time. You see, if if they decide to continue willfully sinning, they will put themselves in a place of having to deal with consequences. Because once you get into that stage where you're, you're now willfully sinning, even though you're a Christian, on a regular basis, there is some hurt ahead of you. And there will be consequences for that. There should be certain 
fearful expectation of judgment because of that and fiery indignation that will come their way. Because they're living a lifestyle like the world and and the punishment will come upon them. As I was looking at this and thinking of this, I was thinking of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. The church was new. People were coming to the Lord. And I believe that Ananias and Sapphira were truly brother and sister in the Lord. But they sinned willfully. And I don't know if they had done it other times, or this was the first time and the church was young, and I don't know, maybe God was, I don't know, going to show them some, um, some judgment really quick, so people were like, whoa, I don't want to do that. But they sin willfully and they die on the spot. That's pretty hardcore. That, that, that's pretty like, whoa. I mean, if you were sitting there or standing there and you've seen this happen, you're going, I, I don't want to lie to the Holy Spirit. That's not what I want to do. You see, they, they had to pay the consequences for their willful disobedience to the Word of God. For what they knew. Again, if you're going to go in that lifestyle or decide to sin willfully, you will pay consequences. There's a former pastor up here in the high desert who used to be the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Apple Valley, a friend of mine, Bill Bullington, who decided to sin willfully and he has been convicted of armed robbery and is looking at three years in jail. My heart goes out for him. He decided to to go do some crimes that now he is paying the consequence for. There was a point in his life, I guess, that he decided that this would be better to go do than to do the will of God. It was better for him to go commit a crime. And so now he is paying the consequences for his actions. The consequences for deliberately and willfully deciding to sin will come back and hurt you. And yet the word is clear. (laughs) These are the things that will happen when we decide to sin willfully after receiving the truth. There's a warning there. And the warning to the believer is that if if you live a life of deliberate sin in direct contrast to a life of faith, there will be scars and heartaches to deal with. But you brought them on yourself. And those who continue in that lifestyle, there's times that they get to a point and they're going, God, why do you allow all this to happen to me? And it's like, really? You have been willfully disobeying on a regular basis and then you, you like trip out that God has allowed this to happen to you. It, it's like the father of the prodigal son. The father let his son go and live a prodigal life. He knew what, what, what he was going to do. When the son said, Dad, I want my inheritance, what he was saying is, I want you to be dead so I can have my money. And, and the father still gave him the money to go live a prodigal lifestyle. 
And when he came to himself, it says, that he decided to come back. And even though he came back and all was forgiven, I could guarantee you that young man dealt with consequences for the rest of his life. He he, he dealt with the scars that that lifestyle brought on. You see, God is not opposed to allowing us, his children, to deal with judgment and indignation. He is not opposed to that. If we desire to live a life, live a life that, that opposes Him, He will let us go on with our bad self. He will let us do it. Much like parents who have had to allow their children, young, teenager, or older, to, ha- to have to face the music for a, a lifestyle that's been opposed to everything the parents were tr- trying to teach them to live. They decided, no, our way is better, and you let them go Pay the consequences. It's hard. It's hard to see a child go do that, but you have to let them go at one point and say, go for it. That's what God does. If we desire to live that lifestyle, He will let us go. The warnings go out all the time. It's like, it's like the, the child that keeps on insisting on touching the, the stove that is hot. And you keep on telling him, it is hot. It is hot. Don't touch it. And it's not until they go and touch it. It's like, oh man, it is hot. (laughs) Why? It's not until they get burnt that they understand. Oh, now I know what you mean by it's hot. It hurts. But it's almost like they have to do it to see if it was. And then they understand the consequences because they have the scars to prove it. But God is giving us warnings (laughs) that you don't have to live that way. You don't have to get the scars to prove that you've learned your lesson. His desire is that we learn our lessons because He's given us His Word so that we don't have to go through it. In verses 28 to 31, where he says, Anyone who rejected Moses' law died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If the old covenant brought about instant judgment on those who sin willfully, in that it showed them no mercy, how much more serious should we as believers take the new covenant I know that the new covenant is full of grace, but we need to still take it serious. We need to understand that that because of this new covenant, because of what he has done, we should desire to draw close to him and press into him and not willfully be disobedient to him because of what he's done. Knowing that when we sin willfully on a regular basis like that, that we are trampling underfoot the Son of God. That we are counting His blood as something common. And that we are insulting the Holy Spirit of grace. When we desire to live a lifestyle of sin, that's what we're doing. And, and, and with all that we know, <laughs> that we have been studying and looking at, it's like, why do we want that lifestyle? Why would we desire to go back and live that lifestyle that will cause hurt if He has already paid the price for all of that so that we don't have to? I think that we of all people 
should understand and fear Him who not only can kill the body, but can damn the soul to hell. Because we serve the living God. Because He is a God who not only has love, but He is a just God. And He will allow consequences to play out if He needs to. Oh, it's not His handiwork, but He allows it. (laughs) Because He is the living God. I understand grace. (laughs) I, I love preaching about grace. I love basking in His grace. But we need to have a healthy fear as well of who our God is because He is so good to us. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians who were believers who were like totally messing up. (laughs) He tells them in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Be careful. The warning is there. Take heed lest you fall. It is a healthy thing to check yourself before you wreck yourself. (laughs) You almost can't help but say that. Well, you guys probably can't. I can't. It's like every time I think about that, it's like, yeah, before you wreck yourself. But he also told them in his second letter, 2 Corinthians 3, 5, examine yourselves. As to whether you are in the faith, test yourself. It's healthy. It's healthy to to ask yourself, where am I at? I I, I think the apostate would would not be asking himself those questions. (laughs) I think it's healthy for the true believer to ask himself, Lord, where am I at with you? How, How am I doing, God? I know I'm a complete failure, but I'm trying like every day. And he knows that because you're not playing games with him. He knows you're a mess up. It's like, that's me. I'm his favorite. These verses here in Hebrew will be used towards the unbeliever. There will be expectation of judgment and fiery indignation to the adversary. It will happen. But as believers, I think that we need to to take them completely serious as well. Because we know who we serve. Let us heed the the, the warning. It's a hard-hitting warning. And it was meant to be a hard-hitting warning that we would not desire to do or go back to what we used to do. Because God doesn't take any of this lightly. He is serious about this whole thing. And I I want to go back to touch on the the apostate really quick. The one who professes but really doesn't possess. Because again, I think that that in and among us we have apostates. There's people that, that, that are playing the part and you know it. And you're playing the part for for yourself or for your husband or for your wife or for whoever. And some of you kids are playing it for your parents. It's serious business. <laughs> it's not a game. You see, you could fool us every stinking day you're here. You could fool us left and right, but you're not going to fool God. It's not a game. And so it's important that you, even you, <laughs> would check yourself and say, Lord, that's me. 
I know that's me because I've been playing this part. Because you know all the lingo. <laughs> you know the right things to say when to say them. You know how to look and how to act. Guys, if that's you, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is fearful. I know that some would say that an apostate, a true apostate, could never be saved because he's come in and he's swindled or he has, he has become, he's like that wolf in sheep's clothing and that they could never be saved. And these verses are used against them. And, and, and they could rightfully be used against them and make that argument. But I do believe that if someone has gotten to that point where, where they can't believe anymore, where they have refused the grace of God and like Pharaoh, can't believe. They won't and now they can't. I believe that that's possible. But I also believe that even those, because of the new covenant, because he is so gracious, that even the apostate, if he was to repent, God would forgive him. As long as there is breath in their life, he can save them if they cry out. Then again, I'm not God, and I don't know. <laughs> He's the one that will make that decision in the end. Bottom line, it is either Christ or judgment. That's all that is awaiting us, guys. Christ or judgment. It's either one or the other. And in the end, there will be no neutrality you won't be able to say, I want to be like, what is it, Switzerland. We're in the middle of everything. We don't want to take sides. You can't do that ever. Not with God. There will be a dividing line and God will know which side to put you on. He knows that. Second bottom line. Especially for us as believers. You don't want to end up on the wrong side of God. You don't want to be on his bad side. Always be wanting to be on his good side. It is good to repent always, daily. I mean, check yourself always before you wreck yourself. Always. It's like, Lord, where am I? Am I doing okay? Please do it. Not that we should worry or not be secure in our, in our, in our salvation. But check yourself before you wreck yourself. He's paid too much. He gave his son. His blood is far too precious to be called common. And let us not insult the Holy Spirit who has been given to us as a comforter. Verses 32 to the end of the chapter as we close up. He says, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated. You endured a great struggle with suffering, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. He, he, he's telling them, be ever mindful of the days gone by. The, 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 the writer is telling the believer to remember to go back to the beginning. You told me to go back to the beginning. And that's where I'll stay. You see, true to form, 
the writer gives an encouragement after each warning. And he's giving them an encouragement. Remember where you once started from. Remember how it was. Remember when, 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 when you could do all things through Christ who strengthens you? Remember when you used to stand up for, for those who were being, being made fun of and, and you stood up with, with them because they were, they were being persecuted for their faith and it's like, hey, I'm with them. Remember those times. And he's saying, you can do this. Si se puede. This is why I believe that he was truly writing and talking to the believer because he says, to those who have been illuminated, spiritually enlightened, they were to remember just how much they've, done, they've endured. There, there, there was a lot of pain and struggling. Remember those days? And man, you just came out of it strong. And yet, because time has taken its toll, you're going, oh man, I don't know if I can do this anymore. That, 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 that's where these guys were at. And when, when he uses that phrase, and you were made a spectacle, in the Greek it's one word. And the word is theatrio. Something like that. Theatros. Which is where we get our word theater from. And it means to expose as a spectacle, to make a gazing stock. And I added a laughing stock even. And from the Thyers Greek lexicon, it says, to bring upon the stage, hence to set forth as a spectacle, exposed to contempt. Remember, he says, remember how you were put out there so they can make fun of you? Remember when they used to look at you and they would say, look at those idiots. They are worshiping something they can't see, feel, or touch. Look at them. They, 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 they're so happy and life is falling down around. They're foolish. You see, they were being made a spectacle by all the people around them. Jesus had not only paid a heavy price for them, but they also had paid dearly with the struggles and the humiliation that came with, with becoming believers. Not just for themselves, but for their brothers and sisters, how they stood up for them. And he's saying, hasn't it all been worth it? Why, why are you giving up now? Wasn't it worth it at one time? Those things that you endured, the way you started off, he encourages them to continue to endure. Some attribute this book of Hebrews to the Apostle Paul because of verse uh, 34 and some of the other ones where it says, For you had compassion on me in my chains. But a better translation from the Amplified and even the NIV goes something like this, For, for you did sympathize and suffer long with those who were in prison, and you bore cheerful, uh, cheerfully the plundering of your belongings and the confiscation of your property in the knowledge and consciousness that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. The, the, the writer was taking them back to help them remember just how strong they used to be 
and reminding them, if you have to go back to remember that, remember that. Put things in, into perspective. And in verse 35, he says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. He says, don't throw away or don't treat your faith like a piece of garment that you take off and you leave it somewhere. If we're going to cast anything off, let us cast off the old man and put on the new man daily, day by day. Being renewed in his strength. Oh, that, that great reward is, was awaiting them and it's awaiting us. But they were getting anxious. They were saying, when is it going to happen? But they needed to endure. They needed patience and they needed to continue. And things haven't changed much today. <laughs> I think oftentimes we grow weary because we feel like that great reward is so far away. But it will be here before you know it. Endurance, patience, continuance is not a popular subject, but we can truly enjoy all the things that God has for us here because He's given us His Spirit so that we can enjoy the peace and the love and the joy and all those things that come with the fruit of the Spirit. And the Amplified, verse, verse 37 says, For still a little while, a very little while, and the coming one will come and he will not delay. I know it's been thousands of years since this was written, but guess what? We're one day closer. We're one day closer than we were yesterday even. <laughs> and he says, the just shall live by faith. This quote is from Habakkuk 2.4. It is used in Romans and in Galatians. Romans emphasizes the just. Galatians emphasizes shall live. And Hebrews centers on by faith. We're not just saved by faith, but we must live by faith. Let us not draw back. Let us not shrink back in fear. If anything, let us continue to endure in boldness because he who has promised is faithful. The warnings are there for our good, guys. They really are. But if you don't heed those warnings, what good are they? I know that, again, some would say, well, I have to learn my lessons by going through them. And I would say, why? If God has already given you His Word, His promises, that you don't have to go through touching the hot stove if He told you it's hot. Learn your lesson. He has given us His, problem, his problems, His his promises to help us avoid those hurts and those scars that we bring on ourselves. Guys, trials and tribulations are already appointed to us. Let's don't add to them because of our foolishness. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Jesus, we thank you again, Lord, for your faithfulness, for how good you are to us, Lord God. Father, it is truly amazing that you have done it all for, for us on our behalf. You have given us everything that we possibly need, Lord God, for life and godliness. And you've given us the warnings. Father, that we, we would be able to keep our guards up, Lord God. 
that, Father, we would not take any of this life that you've given to us lightly. That, Lord, we would desire to press in, to stand strong, to hold fast, Lord, those things that you've already given to us, Lord. I pray, God, that if there's anyone here who has never committed their life to you or have been, has been playing a game, I pray that this morning, Lord God, you would capture their heart. That, God, they would realize, Lord God, that while they have breath in them, that they could repent, that they could ask for forgiveness, and you will do that. And so I pray that you would do that, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for those who, who are even here today who, have, who, who are in that black, backslidden stage, Lord, who have been just living a life of sin, and they know it, Lord. I pray that this morning you convict their hearts and draw them to a place, Lord God, where they would desire more of you and less of this world and less of themselves, Lord. Father, please, open their eyes. Father, you, you, you enlighten them already, Lord. I pray that, God, they were, their eyes would be just open. They would desire to see. And so, Lord, we thank you and praise you for loving us that much, Lord, that you desire us. Thank you for the warnings, Lord God. Help us to take heed of them. Bless my brothers and sisters, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer,